Welcome to the 21st Century Church podcast. Please check out our website at 21stcenturychurch.co.uk for more information. We'd love to connect with you, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Enjoy this message from Assistant Pastor Tyler Davis. We don't really like to change. No, most of us, I think, are, are un- actually, a, a lot of people, I think, are uncomfortable with any kind of change because we kind of like the status quo. We settle into it. Now, I'm somebody who, you know, when it comes to maybe the layout of my home, Rachel is totally with me on this, or other, I get a bit bored and a bit restless, and so I like to just change things up. And so I get a bit, you know, Josh comes home from work, and I'm like, surprise, I did something new. But I married someone who hates change. He is a man who is methodical, who likes things the way they are. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, uh, you know, I can't even get to change, like, the brand of toothpaste to use, and so we have to have separate brands because I like to have a variety in life, but Josh does not. And so he's a man of routine and structure. And, uh, and so I was desperate before Christmas. Some of you, you saw Gaylet the dog's crate. It was a, it was a prop once upon a time. And uh, yeah, Jan, wherever he is, fit inside it. It's that big. My dog is small. He does not need such a big crate. And so I was desperate to get rid of it. And so there's like a, a coach stand stand, like an empty space under the stairs. And I had in my mind, I was going to cut a panel out of the stairs so that Gaylet could live in the stairs. And so this was the plan. And Josh was like, you know, he'd kind of agreed, but kind of not agreed. And so he was like, you know, but is it going to be a mess? A Gaylet. And he assumes Gaylet's going to be like him because he's a man. And uh, he's like, the dog is, he's not going to want change. It's all he's ever known is his crate. What if he's sad that the crate is gone? I'm like, he's a dog. He's going to be fine. And so because uh, Josh, you know, I couldn't really get him to do this. I got Andreas in when Josh was in work with a drill. <laughs> we cut the panel out and Josh came on. And I was like, surprise, Gaelic's got a new home. Isn't it great? And, uh, and he sleeps in there without crying every night. Dunny baby, he's all good with it. But we don't always like change. And so we have to coerce each other. We have to set goals. We have to guilt trip each other publicly tell the church that we're not going to drink coke for the year to try and be accountable and we find it difficult and we all know this feeling because we all like routine we all know what it's like when things change and we're uncomfortable with it maybe the tea bag brand has changed somewhere and you're not okay with it maybe maybe they've got a specialty coffee maybe maybe Seb has introduced something and you're like what what are these rum notes Rum and raisin notes. I had one like that. Rob brought it in. I did not like it wherever Rob is. But there's things that we don't like change in some areas. Maybe, maybe you've had some big life change. Maybe you've had a child recently. We know this feeling. It causes a lot of change and adaption. Maybe you've gotten married and it forces you to change. And it's hard to change. Maybe you've got a new boss in work and they've, they've upped the standards or they've moved the goalposts. And it's difficult to change. We're not always comfortable with it. But it's important that we do. It's important that we don't stay stagnant. A a motto of this church for a long time has been constant change is here to stay. Because change is important. That we don't get stuck in a rut as a church, but also as individuals. And so we're going to look at a couple of characters from the New Testament. And we're going to see how they've changed along the way, along their journey. And there are a couple of the disciples called Peter and John. Now, they're, they're some of the big hitters. They were part of Jesus' inner circle, his inner three, so they're Jesus' besties. And, uh, and so they're, they're, we're going to look at how these guys change. But, but when Jesus called them, they were young men. They're young men. They're, they're teenagers. 
And we know Peter was a fisherman. So we know that he was just a guy just doing his trade. He's just fishing. It was probably the family job. And he's been brought up to do this. We don't know if, if they were literate, if, if they kind of were encouraged to read or write, because they just they were fishermen. They went out and, and they just did their trade. So we know that they're young men. We know that um, John, him and his brother, their nickname was the Thunder Boys which I think is a great nickname. They were called the Thunder Boys because they keep getting things wrong. And there's one scene, which is hilarious, in Luke 9, where Jesus goes to the Samaritan towns. And because they don't choose to follow Jesus, this is what they say. They say, Lord, do you want us, not even you, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> and then it says, and Jesus turned around and rebuked them. <laughs> Because they're idiots. And it's like, what's wrong with you? But these young men, and they're, they're gung-ho, and they're like, come on, Jesus, let's rain fire on these people because they didn't listen to you. And they've got this sort of passion. We know that Peter and John, that they were kind of what we would call frenemies, where, you know, they're part of Jesus' close friends. They're, they're sort of in this circle. They're doing life together. But there's a distinct rivalry going on that you can trace through the Gospels, which is hilarious. In, you know, one of the most key pieces of Scripture of all time, where they go to the tomb and they find that it is empty because the Messiah has been raised to life. It's this dramatic piece of scripture that has set up the church for ages to come and is important doctrine. But what does John have to note? They ran to the tomb and I got there first. <laughs> Why is that important for the rest of the world to know for the rest of time, John? That's what we want to know. He refers to himself all the time as the one that Jesus loved most. And Peter has got no such nickname. I am the one Jesus loved most. When it comes to the scene in Gethsemane where the soldiers come and, and we read in the Gospels that a disciple picked up a sword and cut off the ear of one of the Roman centurions and, and we read this, but in John's Gospel he says, Peter did it. <laughs> it was Peter. <laughs> I'll tell you now. <laughs> and when it comes to the scene where they're walking on water and so we know, you know, Peter's the one that got out of the boat and walked on the waves, but in John's Gospel he's like, and Jesus walked on the water and we're going to end the story there. <laughs> he doesn't even mention Peter. It's hilarious. So they've got this thing, this rivalry going on. Because they're young men. And they're on this journey. And Jesus has chosen them. And they've got to change quite a lot along the way. Because they're pretty flawed. And so we've moved forward to Acts 4. Jesus, at this point, he's been crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost, and we pick up the story at Acts 4 with the churches being born. It's an awesome book of the Bible if you want to look at it. But we're going to look at Acts 4, and we're going to see how these men have changed. From verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, they're noting the number of men. That's how they counted then. But when you add in the women and the children and the people that were following, you've got maybe 10,000 people following, becoming saved in this day because of their preaching. Carry on from verse 7. They had Peter and John before them and began to question them. 
by what power or name did you do this? They've just healed a man. It's the famous passage where there's a lame man at the gate, uh, the gate called Beautiful. You know the song, Athiago This is just me. And, uh, <laughs> and they go and they go, silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so they've just healed this man. It's this amazing passage. And this is the response they're getting. The religious people, I pull them to one side and they're saying, what have you done? In whose name did you do this? How has this miracle occurred? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, ouch, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Sorry, we're not singing no other name afterwards. I know the worship team are hoping that we're going to sing it, but you know, they may do. They may just go rogue, but you know. Well, carry on. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So then they go off and they convene together and they say, right, what are we going to do about this? What can we say? How can we put a stop to this? Verse 18, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. It's this amazing passage where these boys who have been with Jesus along the way, who have been rebuked time and time again by Jesus, who have done stupid things and said stupid things, and yet here they are before the religious leaders of the day making a stand, bold and brave, making this incredible claim that it is by Jesus and Jesus alone that you can be saved. They're, they're totally changed. If you didn't know their story, you, were, you would assume they were different people. Because they've got this incredible sense about them. They've, got the, they've been changed. They've been changed. Now, we all know when you spend time with certain people, they rub off on you. If you hang around with people, you maybe pick up their habits or maybe, maybe you, you know, find a new love for something. I know that, especially as a teenager, I was very shaped by what Stefan liked. And so now my husband is glad to know that I am a fan of Star Trek. Live long and prosper. Although they cannot stop me from liking Voyager, I still claim it's the best series. They don't agree with me, but there we go. <laughs> no one is with me. There are no Trekkies in the church. We just thought this out. <laughs> so, but some people, they rub off on you. Josh taught me a love of Monopoly cards, but not the board game Monopoly. It is way too long. But there's, there's things, people, they shape you. They rub off on you. But I wonder, I wonder who rubs off on you most? Who is shaping you most in life? You know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, sorry, they get a lot of things wrong in this passage, but one thing they do get right. They note in verse 14, they note these men had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. How come they've changed so much? Because they've been with Jesus. 
they've spent an awful lot of time with him. They've been part of the inner circle. They've spent the most time with him. And so they've changed massively. So how have they changed? We're going to look at three quick ways how these men have changed. Firstly, they have become the craven made courageous. The craven made courageous. We know that earlier on in the passages, we know that Peter, he says, Jesus, I will, I will stand by you. I'll never deny you. But when Jesus needed him most, he denied him three times. We know that even after Jesus is raised to life, um, even after he's crucified, sorry, before they've seen him, they're, they're hiding in a house. They don't, they don't want to be seen. They're afraid. They're fearful. But here, there is no hint of fear. There's no hint of it. What does it say in verse 13? The Sadducees, when they saw their courage, they take note. When they saw their courage, all of a sudden, they're these brave, bold, courageous men. They've gone from being cowards. They've gone from being craven to being courageous. They've gone on the journey with Jesus, and they're changed by it. They're changed by it. And I remember when I was in Life Church in Bradford in Bible College, and, and it was before I'd ever preached anywhere, so I hadn't preached here. They did not trust me before I went with good cause, and so I needed to go and be trained and whipped into shape, so I'd never preached on any platform. I hadn't preached on their platform, hadn't really done any sort of public speaking of any kinds or just not used to it, and Rich Martin, who was here last year speaking with us, he, he was on stage in, in a YA event, in a young adult event, and, and he was just like doing the funny bit, and he he was like, hey, man, won't you come on stage with me? Because we all know all the Welsh can sing. <laughs> I'm like, Rich, <laughs> you're kidding me. All the Welsh can sing. Come on up. And so I kind of tentatively walk on stage. And he's like, come on, Hyren, sing us a song. Now I'm in front of all these people on Bradford, if you've been there, on their church's platform. Sing to us. I'm like... I'm not going to sing, Rich. I'm not going to sing to you. And then people start to chant. You know, they're like, sing, sing, sing. And I'm like, I cannot sing, sing, sing. And so I literally totally freeze up. It's one of the most awkward, painful memories of my life. I freeze up until the point where I kind of had to just skulk off stage, having not sung or done anything. And everybody's like, oh. <laughs> it's one of the biggest chicken. I told Josh, and he was like, that doesn't sound like you. I was like, I know, but this is this was pre-platform experience. I didn't have the confidence. And so I'd skulked off. And it was this embarrassing moment. If you, if you were with um, Miles when we went to Oakwood once, and you know about the incident with the red slide. It was one of these incidents where there's this steep, free-falling red slide. Now, it is steep, and it is scary. But she went up, and she was going to be brave, and she was going to do it. And she's there for so long, just looking down. Random adults are chanting, and children are going, wee. Wee, like they've got no issue. People are going, come on, you could do it. But she gives in and she skulks off. And afterwards, Stefan was like, Miles, if you'd have gone and broken your arm, the pain of that would have been less than the pain of you coming off that slide <laughs> because of the shame of it. <laughs> but we all know this feeling where we've given in to nerves or we've been a bit chicken, where we've given in to fear, maybe public speaking, Maybe in some kind of sporting event or someone's asked you to play on a team. Or maybe you know the feeling. Maybe, maybe you've seen something that you know is morally wrong and you want to speak up, but you've given in to the nerves and you've not said anything. Maybe you recognize that feeling. And these disciples certainly knew that feeling where they were fearful to speak up, where they were fearful to stand and proclaim who Jesus was and what they believed. And yet here they are boldly, unwaveringly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, seeing thousands getting saved because of their courage. How is it? It's because they've been with Jesus. 
they've been with Jesus, and that's what's changed them. My title for this morning, I forgot to say, is Being with Jesus Changes You, and You Changed Changes the World. Being with Jesus changes you, and you changed changes the world. And so because they've been with Jesus and they've been changed, they're bringing about change. Something miraculous and incredible is happening. But they've been with Jesus. They've seen his courage. They've been with him for three years in his ministry. They've seen him flip the tables in the temple courts because they'd made it a den of thieves instead of a house of prayer. They've seen him walk on water and calm the storm. They've seen him stop the mob from stoning a woman caught in adultery and showing grace when they wanted blood. They've seen him stand up time and time again and speak truth, even when it wasn't popular. They watched him carry that cross all the way up to the cross of Calvary and be crucified boldly, bravely, courageously, taking the weight of all of mankind's sin. They've seen this courage and it's rubbed off on them. It's rubbed off on them. They recall in their gospel accounts, Mark, who scribed for Peter and John's gospel, their gospel accounts, they've written down verses that Jesus says where he says, take heart, for I've overcome the world. Do not be anxious for anything. Do not be afraid. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do not let your hearts be troubled in John 14. And do not be afraid. They recall these words of Jesus because they've learned the lesson. They've gone from craven to courageous because they've been with Jesus and it's changed them. Hey, maybe this year there are some things you want to achieve, but you're fearful. Maybe there's areas that you want to step up into, but you're worried what if it goes wrong. Maybe you're somebody who's risk averse and you don't want to take a step of faith. Maybe, maybe you're worried about something. What if it goes wrong? When you spend time with Jesus, you get courageous. It changes you. And it's not about being reckless, but being bold with a God-given courage is a good thing. With a God-given confidence, standing on his scripture, I do not need to be afraid. I don't need to worry about tomorrow. Jesus is with me. He's with me. Being with Jesus changes you. Secondly, how else do they change? They are the foolish made wise. They are the foolish made wise. They've gone on this journey. In verse 13, the, the Sadducees say that they are unschooled, ordinary men. And they're shocked at them. They're astonished because they're using scripture so eloquently. They're quoting from the Psalms shrewdly to make their point. They're, they're interpreting scripture. And they're thinking, well, they're, they're literally what they're saying is they're unschooled. They're saying they haven't been to rabbinical school. They haven't been trained. They're, they're tradesmen. <laughs> they were fishermen. What do they know? <laughs> They've got this arrogance about them. But they're saying, what well, they don't know anything. But literally the word in the Greek is idiotes. And you could probably figure out <laughs> what word that has become in our language. The Sadducees are literally saying, these guys are idiots. They're idiots. How were they able to speak profoundly? How were they able to speak this truth? How were they able to preach and interpret scripture? They're idiots. But they are the foolish midwives. How? Because being with Jesus changes you. It changes you. 
gone on the journey. And if you stick around in church long enough, you go on the journey. It's not about how high your IQ is. And it's not about, oh, I've got to go to Bible college to make a change. That's not the case. We can be idiotes. And that's all good because we read in 1 Corinthians 1 that God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God is the God who loves taking the idiotes of the world and making them wise. He loves using them because it's not about us. It's not about us making a name for ourselves. It's not about us getting the glory. It's not about us saying, look how awesome I am and how great my thoughts are. That's not what it's about. It's about us saying, I have been with Jesus and he's changed me and his truth can change you and it can change the world. Come on, church. That's why you need to be clapping. His truth changes. That's what it's about. You know, I love the story Rachel was telling me that Indy, she was in school, and they'd been learning in kids' church about the fruit of the Spirit. And she was in school, and she was telling all her friends that you can have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, she was telling them all about it. And so the teacher comes along, and she's like, uh, like telling Rachel, she's like, I think, I think your daughter's gone a little bit confused. Like the kids are going around, and they're saying like there's spirits inside the fruit. You know, like there's haunted bananas or something. <laughs> I think, think they're a little bit confused that she doesn't understand what's going on. On top of that, she was telling all the kids, she was telling the teachers that, you know, Stefan had told her that actually people who die, they come back because Jesus is resurrection life. She's telling them, I don't know if she said it quite like that, but she's telling them that the dead come back, that Jesus is coming back for all of us. And the teachers are like, I don't know what they're teaching her in church, but I think she's getting a bit confused. She's not getting confused. She knows the truth. And we can look on and think, oh, idiotes. She's unschooled. She's only four at the time. She doesn't know truth. God loves using the foolish things of the world. Indy has been in the house of God. She's been in kids' church. She's been learning about Jesus at home in their home life. They're praying and learning scripture. And she's, she's growing up with Jesus in her life. She's growing up wise. And that's the amazing truth and plug for kids' church. Because when you train your kids up in the ways of the Lord, they won't fast stray. They won't go wrong. Jesus is with them. He calls them home. And, and so I love that idea that God chooses the foolish things and makes them wise. If you stick around church long enough, friend, you'll get wiser as you go along. Now, this wasn't an instantaneous changing process for the disciples. They had to go on the journey. They've had three years of intense time with Jesus. Three years of it. And on top of that, Pentecost come, they're spirit-filled. Now, they've got God within them as well as having been with God. And so they're, they're sort of doing this incredible thing. But, they, but they've been with Jesus. And so it's been changing them along the way. But if you stick at it long enough, you're going to be changed. Jesus will change you. You keep coming to church. You keep reading scripture. You keep praying. You keep spending time with God. You keep worshiping. You are going to change. You just will. I love the story. I've said it before of, of a girl who got saved in life church and, and she's a bit rough on the edges and she didn't have the, the, she hadn't learned yet, you know, what was appropriate to say in church or not. And so she went up to one of the leaders and she was like, why isn't everybody here? Church is effing awesome. And we're like, oh, Yes, it is. <laughs> You're right, and we appreciate your zeal. <laughs> but it's like she hadn't learned yet about how to, you know, it wasn't okay to swear to the pastor. But like, 
That's cool, because that's what church is for, to bring everybody in. But she'll learn if she sticks around. She'll learn, okay, actually, core speech isn't good. We should speak sensibly and wisely. But not only are you going to learn how to speak, you're going to learn an awful lot more. You're going to learn about God's wisdom. You're going to learn about truth. You're going to learn about how to conduct yourself. You're going to learn about how to live life. You're going to learn about purpose and what's right and what's wrong and justice and injustice. You're going to learn about these things. We become the foolish made wise, because being with Jesus changes you. I could do with some wisdom in my life. I think we can all say that. Being with Jesus changes you. And the keys can come up. Thirdly, they are the ordinary made extraordinary. They are the ordinary ordinary made extraordinary. They've been pulled from their very ordinary lives. They were on track. Their trajectory was just to be a fisherman, just to do whatever their family had done, to just live their lives and die, and history would never really recall them. And yet here we are in the 21st century, beginning of 2019, learning about their lives because they've been pulled out of the ordinary and exposed to a new extraordinary reality. They've been changed by it. Why? Because of Jesus. This whole scene happens because if you read in Acts 3, they heal this man, this lame man who has been lame since birth. And, and they note, if you notice at the end of the passage, it says that he was 40 years old. And that's, that's significant as well, especially because Luke, who wrote this, with a, was a physician. And so he would have noted that he's 40 years old. He's been lame all this life. He's saying, do you know what? His limbs would have been withered. He would have known muscular waste. And so you can imagine this man who's been on the ground for all his life, standing up and walking and running and jumping and praising God. His limbs would have miraculously been recovered. It's this amazing miracle. Can you imagine? It would have been a sight to behold. And what I love about it is that Peter and John, they don't even make a big deal about it. They just walk into the temple and they see the guy and he's asking for money. And they're like, oh, dude, we don't have any money. But what I can give you is a miraculous divine healing if you want it. And so in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he does. It's this amazing scene. And from that place, because they all know this man, they've all been walking to temple every day. He's a clever man. He's sitting there ready where they're conscious they're about to go to God. He sits at the temple door as close as he can. And so they all know him. They've been guilt giving him the whole way, all their whole lives before going to see God. And so they know him and he's praising God. And so Peter, and he starts to preach. And he starts to tell them about God's goodness and that it was in Jesus' name and in no other name that this man was healed. And people are getting saved and changed. And this amazing thing is happening. They've gone from the ordinary to the extraordinary. They're living a whole different reality. Seeing people saved, seeing people healed, doing these awesome things in Jesus' name. Just boys, just normal blokes, who've had their lives changed because they've been with Jesus. And now here we find them, not just any young men anymore. Now they're establishing the church of Jesus Christ and continuing the biggest love revolution the world would ever see or ever know of. The biggest change the world was ever going to know, they're implementing it. It's amazing, it's radical, how come? But they've been with Jesus. Church. You spend time with Jesus, and there is no telling what he's going to do with your life. There is no telling where he's going to take you. 
There is no telling what extraordinary things we would see in this life. Do you know, we believe that the God who did these things in Acts, the God who raises the dead, the God who heals the does the miraculous things, who saves and redeems and sets free, we believe he is the same God today, still at work. We believe in the miraculous. We believe he is at move. We believe in revival. We believe in the tens of thousands coming to know Jesus. We believe in that. The difference lies in us. I don't want to be the limiting factor in how much the gospel is preached in Tlenethi. I don't want to be the limiting factor in how much of the miraculous and the divine and the move of God that we see in our lifetime. But if we spend time with Jesus, there is no telling where he's going to take us. We can be the craven made courageous, the foolish made wise, the ordinary made extraordinary, and that's just where Jesus is beginning. We can be the selfish made generous, the broken made whole, the sinner made forgiven, the outcast made family, the sorrowful filled with joy. We could be the one on the fringes all of a sudden knowing God's love all around us. We can be totally radically changed if we spend time with Jesus. That's the difference. That's the difference. Spending time with Jesus. And maybe you're wondering, well, maybe you noticed at the start of the passage, why is this happening at all? Why aren't the Sadducees Jews? Haven't they been waiting for the Messiah? Haven't they, haven't they been longing for this? Why aren't they happy? They should be. They should be saying, you know what? The God we've been preaching is alive and well. He is on the move in this first century. He is doing something radically. We are seeing people heal, healed and saved. This is awesome. But that's not what's happening. Why? Because they don't want to change. They don't want to change. And if we're honest, we can see ourselves in these people. Let's not be so proud to think that couldn't be me. We can be Sadducees. We can be these people. They didn't want change because these were the people, they were basically Jewish aristocracy. When Rome wanted something done, it was with the Sadducees that they dealt with. They were different to the Pharisees. They were different sects. They dealt with the Sadducees. These were people who had power and privilege and prestige. They were able to, to wield economic, social, and political power. They were people of wealth and stature. They didn't want to change. Jesus' gospel is radical. They didn't want to change. And on top of that, they were the ones that got him killed in the first place. You wouldn't want it to be true if you're honest. You wouldn't want it to be true. And yet they oppose. They oppose, though they should be proud, though they should be happy, they oppose. A bishop once noted this. Wherever St. Paul goes, wherever St. Paul went, sorry, there were riots. Wherever I go, they serve tea. <laughs> wherever St. Paul went, or the same is true of Peter and John, there were riots. Wherever I go, they serve tea. And it was this thought that he was saying, how come? How come it's so polite? How come it's so safe? How come it's so sensible when it was wild and dangerous and riotous when the apostles were going? How come? Church, let's not be the Sadducees who want to keep the status quo. Let's not be the people who are comfortable with things as they are when God has got more. Let's not be people who are resisting change. Let's be the ones who say, you know what? We're going to bring the change. We're going to be the change. We're going to be changed, knowing that if we are changed by Jesus, that you changed, changes the world. That we are going to bring radical change, constant changes here to stay. Imagine, church, that we all spent more time with Jesus. We all grew in this area. We all became more like him day on, day on. We keep becoming more like him. Imagine what kind of dynamite 
would rub off on us. What kind of radical change there would be. I'm game. I'm game for the riots if that's what's required. I'm game for the upheaval. Haters gonna hate, that's all good, because we're bringing change. And people may not like change, but this change brings salvation. It brings restoration, it brings redemption. It is worth the cost. And if we are comfortable in our seats drinking tea, and we just wanna keep it as they are, because our lot has landed nicely, and we're comfortable with our power, our position, our privilege, we're comfortable with those things, then we have take, taken our eyes off the ball. We've missed the point. We've missed the point. Let's not be the Sadducees. We need to be like the apostles, like the disciples who say, you know what? It may not be popular with everybody, but we're going to boldly preach the truth. We're going to boldly stand up for what is right. We're going to speak with wisdom because we're going to know what we're talking about. We're going to spend time with God. We're going to know what we're talking about. We're going to live an extraordinary life and allow God to do what he wants to do in us and through us. Maybe you're asking just quickly, how do I apply this? What do I do with this? Well, this is my challenge to you, church. If you want to see change in your life, real change, this is my very practical down-to-earth challenge. I want you to give 15 minutes a day, five minutes to worship. You can put on your worship song. You can look on Spotify. You can make one up. It's all good. Five minutes to worship, five minutes to pray, and five minutes in the Word. You can shake up the order, do whichever. But the 15-minute principle that every day at some point, you're going to do five minutes of praying, five minutes of worshiping, and five minutes of studying God's Word, spending time with Jesus daily. And this is my challenge. If you do that every day this week, see if you are changed by next Sunday. If you do it every day for a month, see if you are changed by February. If you do it every day for a year, see how changed you are in 2020. It's the challenge. How desperate are you for the things of God, church? How much do you want to change? How much do you want to step into the man or woman that God has called you to be? Are you sick of shrinking into the unknown, of stepping into insignificant things? Are you sick of being the ordinary when God is calling you to the extraordinary? Are you sick of being foolish? Are you sick of being frightened? Spend time with Jesus and see how you change to be the courageous man or woman you're meant to be. See how you grow in wisdom. See how you step into the extraordinary that God has got for you. We are not made for the ordinary. We are made for the extraordinary things of God. Would you stand with me, church? We are made for the extraordinary things of God. Being with Jesus changes you. And you changed, changes the world. Together, what could we accomplish if we are all more like Jesus, Christians, Christ ones, going to all the spheres that we represent, I wonder how many people we could see saved. I wonder how many people we could see changed, rescued, healed. I wonder if we had the confidence to pray for people, how many more healings we would see. I wonder if we had the wisdom to speak truth, how many things would we help people, how many disasters would we help them avoid. I wonder what we could do if we were all more like Jesus we were all more like him. And church, the reason, the reason that we can be changed into his likeness, the reason we can become more like him is because he was changed into our likeness. He was changed to become like one of us. The disciples were able to spend time with him 
because he was God incarnate. God put flesh and bone on living in their midst. And I love the idea the gospels don't flesh out. The gospels say these are just some of the things that Jesus said. There's too much to write down. But I love the thought of them eating fish together and playing Galilean ball, whatever that looked like. And, and they're like chilling out together and they're, they're having their men and they're, they're making jokes and probably toilet ones. And, and like they're, they're just having a laugh together, doing life together. But in the midst of all of that, they're watching Jesus at work. They're watching his ministry unfold. They get to be firsthand eyewitnesses of the miraculous that's happening. They get to see Lazarus raised from the dead. They get to see the, the woman with the issue of blood healed. They get to see everyone who comes with him, the sickness of scriptures, everyone who comes healed, eyes opened, ears unstopped. They get to see all these things. They get to hear his preaching and they are changed radically. But the only reason they get to see that is because God made himself known. He made himself visible in Colossians 1, where the Son is the image of the invisible God. He made himself known to us, church, so that we could have relationship with him. He is desperate for a relationship with you. It's why he came in the first place. And maybe today you need to say, you know what? I haven't got a relationship with God yet. This invisible God is not known to me yet. I haven't encountered him. I don't know what I think of this. But Jesus made it as easy as possible for you to have relationship. He did it all. He went to the cross and died, taking your place, taking your sin, everything you've ever done wrong, he took upon himself. He dies because he's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defeat death, so that even when your physical body dies, you will not die. There is resurrection life, as Indiana well knows. There is resurrection life, this great hope. He's done it all. All we have to do is say, I'm in, I'm in. I want to be with you and see how it changes me. The first contact you make with Jesus, the first time you make a decision to follow him, you are changed like that. From sinner to saint, guilty to forgiven, given eternal life in an instant. So hey, if that's you, when you say, you know what, I need to make this encounter this morning, I need, I need to meet with Jesus for the first time, I would encourage you to be brave to make that step from craving to courageous and maybe for the first time say, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to make a step and I'm going to meet with Jesus. I'm going to take the risk, take the plunge. What's the worst that could happen? But what's the best that could happen? Thanks for listening to this message from 21st Century Church. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you could review and share it on social media. Remember to check us out at 21stCenturyChurch.co.uk for any more information. We'll see you next time.